Okay, just a reminder of where we are in Exodus. We're in these last 16 chapters, um, 13 of which are about the tabernacle in one way or another. And, and right in the middle of that, or close to the middle of that section of those 16 chapters, are three chapters that are a break from the talk about the tabernacle, but they're very, very important chapters, and we are in one of those tonight, the middle of those. They're chapter 32, 33, and 34. So if you have an ESV Bible, you'll see that uh, this chapter is broken down into three sections, three headings. Um, the chapter is 23 verses long. We're, we're going to cover the first 17 but, but here's how the ESV breaks it. The first one is a command to leave Mount Sinai, and that's, that's verses uh, 1 through 6. And then second, they have the tent of meeting, uh, verses 7 through 11. And then the last one, uh, their section is Moses' intercession. We will be breaking that section in, in two um, taking the, the last part of it next week. So there, there really isn't any consistent way that, that, that scholars and commentators break this chapter apart. Um, there, there are a lot of variations in, in how that it's broken. Um, the one, the Hebrew Bible puts the major break after verse 16. Um, so we're going to almost follow that one. But I really think that verse 17 uh, completes uh, the verses before it and is a, is a summary of the discussion that, that, that Moses has with, with God. So tonight we're the first uh, 17 verses. And just, just a reminder, um, I bring this up periodically, that, that the reason this, this section on the tabernacle is here uh, according to a Jewish scholar named, named Sarna, one of the main reasons is that it serves as a symbol of God's presence, continuing presence with Israel. Well, um, by the way, I got home, I think it was last Saturday, about um, early evening, um, from that trip to, to Mexico and uh, with the missions team, and I always dread coming back. Um, not because I dread coming home, uh, but, but because I know that, that um, soon I will have to open up my email. Um, like many of you, probably, I have two email accounts. One, one I have a Gmail account, like, like probably most of you do, and then I have an account at at church, which is, which is an Outlook account. So I opened the email, the Gmail account, and I had 86 unread messages. So, and I didn't count the ones from church. Less than that, though. So that, that's, a, that's a good thing. But, but, you know, it seems like every two or three months now, I have this conversation with somebody um, I usually don't bring it up, but, but the conversation goes like this. So is, is, is email a net gain or a net loss? Uh, is it a net positive or a net negative? Is it, is it good or is it evil? 
Well, for one, in one sense, we can't really get along with it without it. It's so efficient. I mean, you can just write down any random thought and send it to somebody. Um, and and then there then there's the you know you can't you can communicate with groups that way too. So you can send out a big message and 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 you know that that's an efficient way to do things because you can't really take time to call everybody. Um, and you and you can't really meet with everybody face to face. But then again, it seems like you know if you do one of those mass emails, the messages are understood, misunderstood so easily. Um, it, it kind of takes more time, and and they are really efficient. So what did we do with the time that we saved by sending an email? Well, 86 unread emails is how we spent that time. So, and so are text messages any better? I mean, you just, here's my phone. You just pick it up. And again, you can send a, a person a, a random message and they can read it when, they're, when, it's, when they want to read it. So it's really, really good. That's why everybody, everybody does that, right? So you can send it. You don't have to call them. Um, but... But group texts are the worst co- form of communication known to man. Because there's no doubt that those will be misunderstood all the time, uh, every, every time. So, again, they're efficient, though, because you can communicate with many people at once. Random things that make no difference to anybody. You can do that. Um, and so... Again, what happened with the extra time that we saved by not calling someone or by not meeting with somebody face-to-face? Well, uh, a quick internet search will tell you this. The average person spends between three and four hours on their cell phone a day on the screen time. And if you add computer time into that, over seven hours a day. That's where that time went that we saved. It it went to the place by whatever algorithm they use to keep in front of you the things that they think they want, that you want to see in order so that you will stay on that screen longer um, up until the point where it's, it's kind of ridiculous that it's six or seven hours a day or seven or eight hours a day average. I mean, if you look at the statistics, you'll see, well, last year it was seven hours, and this year it's seven hours and 20 minutes, and next year, who knows what it will be. So we're spending time where they put something in front of us that we want to see, because that's why they, that's why they do it, so that they can sell something to you, but they want you to know that you can, you can see what you want to see on the Internet, or on your phone, um, and so that you can, they help you to go your own way. They help us to, to think about going our own way and how it's so important to go on our own way. At, at, the, at its best, at its worst, they tell you what they think they want you to know by their algorithms. Nobody's sitting behind there and, and, and looking at your emails and saying, 
well, I think that this is what we should put in, in, in front of this person. No, it's, it's an algorithm, but they want to... Worse is that they put before us what, what somebody else wants us to see, what society wants us to see, what the God of this world wants us to see, so that we can walk in that way. And that's what's happened as we've gotten away from face-to-face communication. So I kind of think face-to-face is better. Um, I think that, that, that God might agree. Here's our verse for tonight from Exodus 33. That's going to be our key verse. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. That's Exodus 33, the first part of verse 11. So that's going to be the theme, like speaking face-to-face with your friend. That's, how, that's what we're going to uh, talk about tonight from Exodus 33. Uh, but, but as we always do, just a quick review. Exodus 32 was about um, what, what it would be famous for is the golden calf. Right, so, so you remember that, that, that God says after when Moses says to Moses as he's going to come down the mountain um, to um, leave him alone so that he can destroy the people. And, and Moses appeals to him, and, and he, one of the ways he appeals to God is to say something like this. He doesn't say it exactly this way, but remember who you are. Remember your promises. Remember what you told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses is successful. God relents in that. And then later in the chapter, towards the end of the chapter, um, we come to this this section. So this is the end of Exodus 32, uh, starting in verse 31. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So that's what Moses has the heart for his people, saying that God, they have sinned. There's no doubt about it. But please forgive them and take me instead. Instead, Well, um, God doesn't let Moses die for the sins of the people. Um, he says that, that those, the people who have sinned will die for themselves. God will deal with them. Um, and then he sends a plague. Here, here's what it says. But, but the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, Go. Lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel, or yeah, my angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And then, then what happens is that he sends a plague upon the people. But here's what he commands Moses to do. But now go, lead the people to 
the place about which I have spoken to you. So that's, that's the promised land. Go and lead them to the promised land. And behold, my angel, and pay attention to that because all the commentators pay attention to that. My angel shall go before you. Which leads us to chapter uh, 33. And again, like speaking face to face with your friend is what, it is, what we're going to talk about. Uh, there are three parts. We're going to break the chapter in, or these 17 verses into those three parts. Face to face about leaving. Notice he just commanded um, Moses to leave. Second, the tent of meeting face to face. And thirdly, a face-to-face about God's favor. So, face-to-face about leaving. So, you're, um, then the Lord said to Moses, this is Exodus 33, 1. Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. So as, as you remember from chapter 33, that God and Moses have this back and back, back and forth saying, God says, well, you brought this people out of Egypt. And then Moses says, well, these are the people that you brought out of Egypt. These are your people. Um, and bring them to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring... I will give it. So remember that that Moses had appealed to the Lord on the basis of his relationship with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, on his basis of the promises that he made to them, on the basis of the covenant that he made from them with them, of the covenant loyalty that he had with them. If, if you know where I'm going with this, that's steadfast love. So God is telling the pe- telling Moses that the reason that I am doing this, the reason I am telling you to take them to that land is because of my steadfast love, my covenant loyalty to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Moses knew who the Lord was. Moses, Moses knew the Lord. Moses met face to face with him. So, so God's steadfast love. This is, this is a lesson, uh, chapter 33, uh, on what God is like. His steadfast love overcomes the sins of the individual people. Actually, the, the sins of the whole group. Uh, overcomes those. And, and some of those will be blotted out, as we're going to find out in, in, in chapter you know, later in chapter 33 and in chapter 34, God does not, this does not mean go ahead and sin and nothing will happen. Um, God does not leave the guilty unpunished. So two things to look about at in this verse after, after these two verses. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a, a land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go up with you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So the first thing to look at there is, I will send an angel before you. So, so if you remember earlier, God said, I will send my angel 
before you. Um, usually things go from less specific to more specific, but here he, here he goes from more specific to less specific. And all the, all the commentators make a really, 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 really big deal about this, that, that it switches from my angel to an angel. Um, and, and it's a big deal, I'm sure, but, but I'm not sure it's quite as big of a deal as the commentators make of it. Um, and they will even reference this, this passage, but ten chapters earlier... In Exodus 23, um, here's what it says. So this is Exodus. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read four verses. You don't have to. You'll you'll get the point. Um, Exodus 23, starting in verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you. Got that? I send an angel before you. To guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Then verse 23. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will blot them out. So notice he uses an angel and my angel in the same passage, talking about going to the same place. So uh, I'm sure it's significant, but maybe not quite as big a deal as the commentators make it out to be because the real big deal is this but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people so again what is this about God says the angels going I'm not going with you. And he tells us why. Because I might consume you on the way. Because you are a stiff-necked people. Now, we can think about it in, with, you know, just at that point, but just, just with those words in mind. But, but let's not forget what God has just done. He is sending them there because of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he won't be in their midst because he doesn't want them to be destroyed. He doesn't want to destroy them. It's an act of loyalty to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You can look at it this way. God was showing them love by saying, I'm not going. Showing them covenant loyalty by saying, I'm not going. The angel's still there to guard them. He still promises that, that he's going to drive the, the people out of the Can- land of Canaan. Um, but the people will survive the journey. So this is the big deal for another reason as well. 
And a few of the commentators bring this up. There is no longer a need for the tabernacle. Because what is the tabernacle? It is a symbol of God's continued presence with the people of Israel. And we don't even really know. They probably don't know yet. Moses had just come down off the mountain. They probably don't even know that that there have been instructions to build a tabernacle. But there's no need for one uh, any longer. Because God isn't going to be in the middle of them anymore. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. That's a, that's a nice name for fancy jewelry. Um, for the Lord had said, so this verse probably actually chronologically preceded the, the last verse. It explains why they did not put on their ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. In other words, I can't turn you. I was, I was here um, a year ago or so, before my second grandson could talk. And he liked to ride on my shoulders. And I was standing in the, in the area out there, and he grabbed my head. He's like a little over a year old. And he goes, <laughs> turns it completely sideways. And, and I go like this. And then he goes, pushes my head in. Oh, I'm supposed to go that way. Pushes my head away. So if you're a stiff-necked person, you can't respond, you can't turn. Grandkids, they run your lives, don't they? Anyway, so chronologically, this verse goes ahead of the other one. Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, for in a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that you may that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So this made a big enough impression upon them, and we know that we they rebel along along the way that but when they leave Sinai they do this and apparently continue not to put on their their fancy jewelry. It made a big enough impression to make a permanent change in them. Next section. The tent of meeting face to face. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it for himself. That's not in your ESV um, uh, but it is in the Hebrew, and I think it, it helps clarify a little bit. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it for himself outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought Yahweh or sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So the repetition of outside the camp. So what's going on here? Well, Moses is acting on what God has revealed to him. Moses wants God to go with the people. Moses wants 
God to go with him. He's going to plead with him to go along. But he meets with him face to face. He talks with him face to face. And he is doing, acting on what God has revealed to him. And God has revealed to him, if I go in the middle of those people, I might destroy them. And so what does he do? He sets up a tent outside, far outside the camp, and goes out to that camp to meet with the Lord. So you'll remember that the tabernacle is, is also called the tent of meeting. This is not the tabernacle. So this is, this is a different tent. The tabernacle is not constructed yet. So it is a tent uh, that, that at least for a while takes the place of the tabernacle, but Moses pitches it out there to protect the people because he cares for the, the people. Um, and so Moses still wants to have his face-to-face meetings with God, so he does it in this, in this tent. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of the meeting. So it sounds like it's open to everybody. I I think, though, what it means is just like in Exodus 18, where when people have a dispute or people need to know what the Lord's will is, they come to Moses and he inquires of God for them. And so people would come out to this tent of meeting uh, and, and tell Moses and he would bring the matter before the Lord. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his own tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So why did they, why did they do that? Because they knew what was going to happen. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, which, which they're used to, right? They've seen before. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and and Yahweh would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door, far outside the camp. Thus, Yahweh used to speak to Moses, face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. So it's not just the face-to-face communication. Um, Friday, Friday I had lunch with, with a guy. Um, uh, he's been my best friend since I was five. And so we went out to lunch, and we talked to each other, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, am I losing it, or um, don't people understand humor? And then he told me what he had posted on Facebook, um, and I said, oh, that's funny. They just don't get it. I get it. They don't get it. It, The humor's buried a little bit too deep for most people to see. But there's something about face-to-face. There's something more about face-to-face with your friend. You understand each other. You understand 
uh, who you are, you understand who he is or he or she. And it's different. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So we will never be like Moses. But we have, or we can have, we have access to that kind of a relationship with God. He's not going to come down in a cloud uh, and talk to us. I don't know how many of you were in in Jim Powers' uh, Sunday school class this morning, but but we got on the subject of of prayer from from John, I think it was from John 17, and he made the point, and it's a good point, we don't need to have people in heaven interceding for us, even though Christ intercedes for us. What he's, what he's talking about is there is, in God indwells you if you're a believer. God is in you if you're a believer. And so we have that potential for that relationship right here. You might say that we have the potential to have a face-to-face type relationship with God, but most of us don't do that, right? And you might say, you know, I, I really want that. I really want to have what, what Moses has there, but, but I just can't seem to find it. Well, the good news is that the next few verses are a conversation like that. And so... Uh, if we pay attention to what's written in Exodus, we will see what those kind of relationships are like. Because this is a face-to-face about God's favor uh, in these next um, six verses. So this is a conversation between Moses and between God. Moses is going to do most of the talking in this conversation. The last part of the chapter is, is more conversation between Moses and God, but God does most of the talking. So, so what we're going to have here in, the, in these six verses is we're going to have Moses making a rather long point and God answering, answering very succinctly. And then Moses making another very long point and then God giving an answer. It's a little longer, but it's still much shorter than, than Moses. So six verses. You're going to have two from Moses, one from God, two from Moses, and one from God. And Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, or you could even really put it like this, Look, you're telling me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So a couple things to look at here. The first one is this. 
But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. So, so what does Moses want to know? Who's going along? Who's going along? So, so is he looking for the name of the angel? Or does he, does he want to know if he's really talking, is this your angel? Is this the angel of the Lord? Or, as some have suggested, does he want to know how many of the people are going to be able to come? Because early on in, in Exodus 32, God had said, let me destroy them all. And then I'll make you into a great nation. And then later, he tells them to kill some of those who don't identify with him. They're not on the Lord's side. And then some others die of a plague. And he, and he has promised that he will blot out those who have sinned against him. So which of those things is it? Most, most say this, this, is about, this is about the angel, but not everybody agrees that. So the next thing to look at is this. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight or in my eyes. You have found favor in my eyes eyes. So, so the reason that I, I prefer that more uh, literal translation is because it should remind us of an earlier passage in, in the Bible in the book of Genesis where God says, or, or where it's written, but Noah found favor in the eyes of of the Lord. So week and a little over a week ago I was at Bible study um, with a small group of people we have and we were talking about you know in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament salvation has always been by God's grace and always by faith. Um, it's just that that they have a forward-looking faith in Christ don't really know the details. We have a back-looking faith. But, it, but it's faith in, in Christ. And, and when I started talking about that, one of the guys just said, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just quoting that right away when I said that Old Testament, you know, salvation is still by grace. Well, that's because grace and favor are the same word. That's why he quoted it that way. And, and Moses is actually a Noah-like person. If you kind of follow the story through, uh, and, it, and it tips us off in Exodus a few times that, that Moses is a Noah-like person. But, but the point is that Moses has found favor, or Moses has found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And because of that, notice he's using this as part of his, his plea to God. He has a request. Actually, he has, he has two requests. And here they are. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please 
Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight or in your eyes. So, so just take a look at that verse and follow that train of thought that, that Moses has there. This verse has always fascinated me. So if I found favor in your eyes, show me your ways, not the ways of the God of this world, right? Not the ones that we find on here, helping us go our ways. But if I found favor in your eyes, please show me now your ways, first one is, would be expected, so that I might know you. If we walk in his ways, we get to know him. But that's not his ultimate. That's not the end of his argument. In order to find favor in your sight, in your eyes. If I have favor... Let me get to favor. Let me get more favor. Show show me more grace. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure, seeing where we are, seeing what is going on at the end of the middle of John chapter 1, referring back to Exodus, that when, when, when John writes... Grace upon grace. He's at least alluding to this, right? The law comes through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. But grace upon grace, he references there. Favor upon favor. So we're not supposed to think like this, that you know Moses was a good enough guy, that God took notice of him. And granted him favor. And so now, uh, of course, since he's a good guy, he would request to, to have more of that favor. And so he works really hard and he gets it. It's grace. It's favor. It's not earned. <laughs> but he understands that, that if I know God, and I know the favor that he's, that he's shown me, that God shows favor, that's who he is. He's a, he is a God of grace. So let me know your ways so that I can know you, so that I can have more grace. So here's Moses' other request. So if I found favor in your eyes, consider to this. That this nation is your people. Don't forget about these people. I know you're telling me to lead them up, but don't forget about them. And then he said, this is, this is the Lord's answer. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Interesting response from the Lord. Quite literally, 
The with you is not there. So now you're down to my presence will go and I will give you rest. And then secondly, more literally, my face will go. So God who meets with Moses face to face says, my face will go. And I will give you rest. So Moses has been dealing with, as you know, a really hard time with the people, and it's just starting. We're only about a year into it. So why go through all this if if now God says, my presence is going to go? Why go through all this? Well, one explanation, it's it's a pretty good... um, it's, it's by a guy named Hamilton, and he, he does a good job of summarizing what several others have said. Uh, and, and this is it. The divine response provides Moses with the opportunity to bear Israel on his heart, to stand in the gap, to give Moses the opportunity to say, they need you more than they need me. And to say to Yahweh, Israel... And I need not only your present presence, not only that you're here, but your active presence. So I, I think that there's even more to it than that, though. I mean, it gives Moses the opportunity to do those things and, and, and express those things and, and to see how much the people mean for him. But especially in the larger context of, of these, these chapters... Um, 30, 32, 33, uh, 34. Well, these chapters are like Exodus 3. And if, ever, if you know Exodus 3, Exodus 3 is the burning bush. Exodus 3 is where God comes and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, revealing himself to Moses. I am who I am. That's Exodus 3. My name is Yahweh. That's my name forever. That's Exodus chapter 3. These chapters are like that. This chapter is like that. God is revealing something about himself, about his character. And in here, in in these verses, about his favor, about his grace, especially when you look at what's coming next, it has to be talking about that. This is about God revealing what it means to Moses to have his favor, and not only to Moses, but the people with him to have the favor of God. And that's good for us to know. It's good for us to think about, about the extended blessing that we have if we've found favor, if we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So this is what it means when to have Moses find favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is what it means to have him say, I've called you by name. This is what it means to talk to him face to face as a friend. This is what it means. And Moses has another point. 
And he said to him, if your presence will not go. So I'm glad you're, he's saying, I'm glad you're saying that, that your presence is going to go, is going to go. Because if it weren't going, don't make us leave here. Don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Get it? He wants them to know. If, we're, if, if you're not going, how do, they, how do they know that I've found favor in your sight? If you're not going, how can it be that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? That is not the same word, but that, that is a reference to what God has said already. I'm going to make a division between the people of Israel and the people of, of Egypt. And so your cattle are not going to get hurt, but the people of Egypt's cattle are all going to die. So that you will know that God makes a difference between people. He draws distinctions between people. Moses knows him. Moses was there. So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, so this is the, this is the last part. This is, a, this is the part I can't figure out how verse 17 doesn't go in this section. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, or in my eyes, and I know you by name. So this is what it means to find that. This is what it means to talk with God face to face. So, so if you trust Christ, you should, you should be thinking about these words and thinking, well, that, that fits. I mean, that is what Jesus does for you. If you've found favor, if you've found grace, if he calls you by name, he, he will go with you. He cares about you. He protects you like here. So this is just, um, this is from John chapter 10. Very familiar verses. John 10, 14. In 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep, this down a little bit farther, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and and the Father are one. He is a... God with steadfast love. He's a God with covenant loyalty. The same loyalty 
that he shows to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bring the people he shows to these people who Jesus is talking about. He, he shows to us though the same grace that we have. So here's what we talked about tonight. So one of the things that we, that we might think about is, you know, I want to talk to God that way. I want to talk to God the way that, that Moses talks. I want God to talk to me that way. Well, I was uh, this week in my regular reading, um, I was in Psalm 15, and I'm always, I'm always amazed how much, how much David refers, to, refers back, alludes back, maybe not directly to things in, in Exodus and, and in the rest of the Torah. Um, but just think about this psalm. We, we know this psalm. I'm only going to read the first three verses and hear the overlap between Psalm 15, the beginning of it, and, and just this story where, that we are in Exodus. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. O Lord... Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his ESV says neighbor. It's the same word as he spoke face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Nor and does no evil to his friend. Nor takes up a reproach against someone near to him. Who can be in that tent? That's who can be in that tent. We need to make ourselves follow his ways, right? We need to, and we need grace to do that. We need his grace to do that. But we can have that conversation with him. We can pray like that. Face to face with God. So let, let's close in prayer. Father, we, we thank you so much for your steadfast love, your loyalty, the promises that you make, you keep. We thank you that you have shown us favor. Those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, you have shown us grace, that you know who we are, that you promise to protect us, you promise to bring us to eternal life. And you are a loyal covenant God. No one can snatch us out of your hand. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.